Would you, would you like to know the future? No. no. According to a famous sketch from Monty Python, take the mystery out of life. No, I don't think we would like to know the future, would we? How would we have coped with our lives if we'd known what was coming in advance? How would we cope today? Actually, it's rather good, isn't it, that God has not granted us to know everything about the future. But then I suppose the second question is this. If you did know what lies ahead, would you have lived your life differently? If you could have anticipated the things that have happened to you in your life, or if you could anticipate from now on what will happen, would you live your life differently? I'm not asking you to actually argue. You can if you wish. I wouldn't worry so. You wouldn't worry so much, no. Or you might worry more, depending on what was going to happen, I suppose. <laughs> this is the problem, isn't it? You know. Um, the thing is, Jesus knew what lay ahead of him when he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey. He had more insight than any of us. Although, it has to be said, Jesus didn't know everything. When he was asked about when the Son of Man would come again, he said only the Father knows that. So thankfully, uh, God the Father spared Jesus, the human Son of God, from some of that knowledge. But Jesus certainly knew... Uh, what was going to happen in that last week when he rode into Jerusalem. He knew about the expectations of the crowd. He knew that growing excitement was occurring as as rumours started to spread that the Messiah might eventually be here. Remember at that end of the reading, they, they knew Jesus was a prophet. Well, but we know he's more than a prophet. There are Some people in our world, like the the Muslims, who just think Jesus is a prophet. But we know he is more than a prophet. He is the Messiah. Jesus also knew about the fears and the anger of the Pharisees. And as the ordinary people in the crowd got more excited about Jesus, the, the Pharisees got more frustrated and more angry about him. Jesus knew all about that. But Jesus knew the word of God. And it was largely through knowing the word of God that Jesus knew what was going to happen to him uh, ahead. Now, you'll be pleased to know that when I stand here and preach, I do not know everything about you. I don't know what you're thinking at the moment, whether you're kind of looking at your watch to wonder whether Laurie will be finished before the roast is cooked, what you're anxious about, Um, what you are kind of feeling guilty about, which is a good thing, because if I preach the word of God and it speaks to you, then take it as the word of God that speaks to you, and not Laurie knows so inside information about you, because I don't. It's important that we, we, we remember that, that when God speaks, he speaks directly to us, and you know, I've met people who, who will come and say, well, I, I, you know, you, you were speaking to me today. I said, well, I just gave you God's word. And it was God that was speaking to you today. So let's just think about what Jesus knew about what lay ahead of him as he rode into Jerusalem on that, uh, on that Palm Sunday. Well, he knew that he was going to ride in on a donkey. 
and uh, he actually arranged it so that the disciples would go and uh, and get one for him. And he knew where it was going to be, and he knew who belonged to it belonged to, and he gave them full instructions. He knew that he wasn't to ride in on a grand warhorse, but he was to come in on, on a gentle donkey. In fact, the foal of a donkey. Only Matthew tells us that there was a donkey and a foal, and he rode them. That's a stretch of imagination how he did that. But um, some of the other Gospels just say the cult of a donkey. Matthew actually mentions that the mother was there as well. Well, Jesus knew that because Jesus knew his Bible. And if you'd like to look in Zechariah chapter 9, you will find exactly that prophecy towards the end of the Old Testament. You fit this wonderful book of Zechariah uh, in chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then Zechariah goes on to say, well, take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. So Jesus knew that that was his task and he knew that the symbol of that task was to ride in on the colt of a donkey. Now, Zechariah was writing somewhere around 500 years BC. Uh, he was about the time of the return from the exile, uh, when the people of Israel had been taken away to Babylon, and they were beginning to be returned to their uh, land. That's roughly the time, 500 years before, and he pro- proclaims that the king will come riding on a donkey. Pretty amazing. Um, Jesus also knew that, um, that the, the, the owners might ask questions. So when he tells the disciples to go and take a donkey, uh, you know, if you saw someone coming and untying your donkey or taking off your car for a drive or whatever it was, you would ask questions. Uh, and they did. Uh, actually, Matthew doesn't tell us that, but Luke does. Actually, what Jesus said uh, came true, that in Luke's Gospel we hear that they did say, why are you untying that colt? And they simply said, the Lord needs it. And that was enough. They obviously knew something uh, that Jesus needed it, and they let it go. Um, it, a, Mark's, a Mark's Gospel, actually. Mark's Gospel is a shorter Gospel. Uh, it's more condensed, but in some passages, it actually gives more detail than Matthew and Luke, which are based on Mark. So Mark fills out the detail there. The owners did ask the question that Jesus predicted. Jesus knew about the donkey, the colt. He knew about the owner's questions. He knew about the crowds. If you'd like to have a look at Psalm 118, you will read these words. Psalm 118. O Lord, save us. Can anyone translate that into Hebrew? Hosanna, yeah, exactly, there we go. Hosanna, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God. He has made us his light shine upon us. He's made his light shine upon us with boughs in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. So there we go. There is a a psalm of procession for coming in on one of the great festivals into Jerusalem. And and Jesus knew that this 
his riding in was partly uh, a fulfillment of, of that, um, linking that with Zechariah on the donkey. But there's something else in that passage you might pick up with boughs in hand. Boughs in hand, or branches in hand. They picked branches off the off the trees, the palm trees. Uh, we've got a variety. We've got some cupressus. We've got some figs and all sorts of things that have been brought in today. But that doesn't matter. They put branches. Actually, Matthew doesn't say palm. He just says branches. And um, do you know, that's equally significant because Zechariah uh, is a prophet who... A lot of Zechariah's book is all about the Messiah. Zechariah, particularly one of the later prophets there, uh, particularly focusing on the Messiah, what the Messiah will be like and when they will come. Let me just read you um, a verse from Zechariah chapter 6. Verse 12. Tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. And he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord and will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And he will be a priest on his throne and there will be harmony between the two. What an amazing verse. It predicts that this person that's going to be riding in is a king who's going to be on a throne but he's also going to be a priest on the same throne. The king and the priest. And he's going to be called the branch. So I wonder if the people... Uh, on Palm Sunday, when they put their branches on the road, realize the significance of what they're doing. We're laying down our branches as the branch comes into Jerusalem, and then he will branch out to the rest of the world. Isn't that incredible? Jesus knew uh, what was happening to him. He also knew, of course, that in the crowd there will be children shouting out. And uh, a few chapters earlier, we were reading about Jesus uh, children being brought to Jesus and the disciples shunning them and saying, take the children away. Jesus is talking to adults, don't you know? And Jesus says, let the little children come unto me, for unto them belongs the kingdom of heaven. And uh, he quotes Psalm 8, famous, uh, famous Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. So there we go, the children in the crowd. Jesus knew all about that, and he knew the significance of that. Jesus also knew that when he came into Jerusalem, what he found there was not all going to be to his liking. And if you have a look, what immediately follows the triumphal entry, the first place Jesus goes, having ridden in uh, on the donkey, is into the temple. And when he goes into the temple, this house of prayer, he sees it has become a marketplace. And not only a marketplace, I'm not saying Jesus would worry about, you know, cards being on sale in the cathedral. I don't think he would worry about that. But what he does see is actually corruption and people making extra money out of selling the right temple money and and the animals for sacrifices. He saw through all of that and he realized how corrupt Uh, the Lord's house. And he said, instead of being a house of prayer, you've made it a den of robbers. And so in untypical Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild fashion, 
You know, that picture is, is not all of Jesus, is it? He throws the tables over. He scatters the money. And um, those of you that read my email um, would see the picture of Jesus riding in from the Oberammergau Passion Play, which uh, Karen and I were very fortunate to go and see in the year 2000. And it's coming up again in 2020. Uh, and uh, when he rides in, it really is quite spectacular because he throws the tables everywhere, the money scatters, they let the doves fly out and there's animals and everything on the stage. Very spectacular. And it must have been quite a scene. And no wonder the Pharisees, who are already angry about Jesus, get really more knocked at seeing him apparently desecrating their temple, but what he's doing is putting right what they've been doing to the temple. Do you know, we could go on, couldn't we? We could go on at saying how much Jesus knew uh, was going to happen to him. But ultimately, Jesus knew that he was riding into Jerusalem, not to the adulation of the crowds, but to the humiliation of the cross. His ultimate destiny was the cross. And hence, I find it very, very interesting that the donkey has already got the cross on his back ready for Jesus to take him to his destination. See, Jesus predicts in chapter 20 and verse 17, previous chapter. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took his 12 disciples aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified doesn't leave much to the imagination, does he? He makes it very clear. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. He's told them in no uncertain terms what's going to happen to him, but they don't get it. Now, earlier on, I asked you a question. Uh, if you knew what lay on the road ahead of you, would you still walk the same road? Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. You're going on a journey. Let's say you're going on a train to London. You don't know what's going to happen. But if you did know what was going to happen and it was, it was bad, it was going to happen to Jesus, would you still walk the path? Or would you take a different route? Or would you reschedule your diary? You know, I happen to have been in London on the night of the King's Cross fire. And as I came out from Tottenham Court Road, it was chaos in, in uh, Euston Road, with ambulances and you know, it was, there was clearly something going on, I had no idea what it was, it was before the days of mobile phones and instant news uh, but you know, I could have been on that train, we decided to walk back from the uh, I was at visiting Mullard Electronics and going to walk back to St Pancras Station but you never know, do you? You know, if you knew something bad was going to happen, would you have taken a different route to avoid it? I don't know uh, if you've been listening to the news, but whether the name Arnaud Beltram means anything to you. He's the French gendarme who, when a terrorist burst into a supermarket voluntarily took the place of a, of a female hostage that that uh, man had taken. Gosh, would you have done that? Voluntarily took the place of a hostage. 
And it turned out that he'd already won medals for gallantry in his, in his previous service. And sadly, at 44, he, has, he lost his life. He was injured by the shooting and the stabbing. Um, I wonder if we had to ask him that question. If you knew what lay on the road ahead, would you have still done the same? Well, his brother, Cedric, uh, is quoted as saying this. He gave his life for strangers. He must have known that he really didn't have a chance. If that doesn't make him a hero, I don't know what would. Incredible. Somebody who actually voluntarily stepped in as a hostage. He was experienced in that kind of thing. He knew the dangers and the risks. And he made that decision. Jesus knew what lay ahead of him. And although he he would have... We know that in Gethsemane, he did actually wrestle with his father and say, if there's any other way, Lord, please, may I go that way? And yet, at the end of his prayer, not what I want, Lord, Father, but your will be done. And Jesus knew what lay ahead, but he still walked the path of the cross. It was a deliberate act. The writer of Hebrews describes him as this. He said, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now Jesus must have been looking beyond. He already told the disciples that on the third day he would be raised again. That doesn't kind of like skip over the the bad bit of the cross. But it was the love of the Father It was his looking forward to uh, what would come. It was his total trust in the Father that he had to go through that before he could achieve what he intended to achieve that kept him going. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. In Luke, the middle of Luke, I I love Luke's Gospel, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll work, we'll do some work in Matthew this year, but next year we'll do some, we'll go through Luke. But Luke is a very interesting gospel because it kind of hinges on the cross. It starts off in the north, in Galilee. It comes down towards Samaria. It then heads to Judea and Jerusalem. And then at the end of Luke, it heads out uh, after the day of uh, Pentecost from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world. And at the middle is that cross. So the whole gospel is hinging towards... He's travelling towards the cross and then back out to the ends of the world. And, and a very key verse in Luke is in chapter 9 where it says, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And that was sometime before the Easter story starts. He resolutely set out. He had made up his mind. In fact, the authorised version says, he steadfastly set his face. Good. Just like Usain Bolt on the start line. Have you seen those pictures of him? absolutely, totally focused on nothing else apart from getting to that start line in the fastest time ever. Only Jesus was totally fixed on what he knew he had to do to go to the cross. Thank God he did. He knew what was going to happen and he still walked that road. Isn't that wonderful? 
And the writer to the Hebrews has this lovely phrase at the end of chapter 11 about all the people of faith who um, didn't see in their lifetime what they'd hoped for. But only when looking back can you see that they achieved what they intended. God had planned something better. Good. I wonder what God's planned for your life. He may not have planned for you to become a hostage and give your life like that. It's very unlikely. He may not have planned for you to go and, uh, and become a, a missionary in some very remote place where you die of horrible diseases as a result of your calling. Uh, yeah. But many people have uh, followed that path. But he may have called you to something which, although you may not like it, actually, he has planned something better. And there can be no better place than being in the will of God to actually go where he wants, even if it's going to be hard uh, to know that he has planned something better. Isn't that encouraging? Well, so I come back to the question, really. Do you know the future? The answer, no. We don't know what the future holds but we know who holds the future, don't we? That old hymn, I know not what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And he holds me in his hands. Thank God we have a saviour who didn't turn to an alternative route, but lived his life perfectly in the will of God so that we might have peace with him.